Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the new Blue Seat Blogs podcast, live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, and I'll be joined in just a sec by Dave and Becky. On today's episode, we'll recap the last week in Rangers hockey, which included two thrilling wins over the Islanders and one excruciating loss to the Columbus Blue Jackets. We'll give our takes on the three-goalie rotation, which is currently not featuring that much Henrik Lundqvist, uh, and we will answer the number one question on everyone's mind as we head into the All-Star break. Will the Rangers make the playoffs? All right, guys, let's get into it. Dave and Becky, how are you doing? It's, it's good to be back, huh? Yeah, it's great it's good to, be to be back. Be, yeah, good to be talking about hockey again. Been a while. Yeah. It has. And um, Dave, as you mentioned in the post, you know, we hope everybody enjoys this new edition of, the, uh, of our podcast, now, now titled Live from the Blue Seats. We've got some fancy mics. We are recording it a little bit differently. So uh, hopefully onwards and upwards from here. And, and, and as we said, too, we're hoping to do these once every couple of weeks, at least until we get the hang of it. Uh, maybe we'll be doing them weekly by the end of the year. Yep, we have these fancy new blue ball microphones, and <laughs> we are doing a little bit better job of recording, better quality. We hope that you guys like this going forward. Cool. All right, so let's dive into it, guys. Um, this past week uh, for the Rangers was a pretty good one. They played the Islanders twice in a row, although it wasn't a home-and-home home because the Islanders actually had a game in between their two games with the Rangers. Um uh, so last Monday, a week ago, we're recording this on, on Monday night a week later. The Rangers beat the Islanders 6-2 at the Garden. Uh, two days later, they beat them 3-2 on the island at the Coliseum, the first game at the Coliseum between the Rangers and the Islanders in five years. Uh, I, and I think, as we'll talk about, that was maybe the best win of the David Quinn sort of post-rebuild uh, letter era. Um, but unfortunately, they could not follow that that big win up. They lost uh, on Sunday night to the Columbus Blue Jackets, gave up a goal in the last 30 seconds of the game, uh, lost 2-1, to one, and there's lots to get into with that game specifically. But, Dave, I'll just start with you. What did you think of, uh, of the Rangers kind of last week? What were your general thoughts on the, on the games uh, and really thoughts on the team lately, which I think it's been uh, you know, well detailed. They've been playing much better as of late. Yep, so I was actually only able to watch the Monday game, the demolition of the Islanders in full had a work event Thursday, was out on Sunday. Um, but that was actually the game that the Rangers absolutely dominated the Isles. They were all over them. And Rob, you and Rob Luker brought it to my attention that they were doing something different with their gap control. And I spent a lot of time looking at that. And something that I wrote about is their system is either changed slightly or they're actually finally starting to execute what they were supposed to be doing. And they just look so much better. They're more aggressive on the forecheck. They're closing gaps in the neutral zone. They're not backing all the way up basically to the goal line before stepping up in the defensive zone. They just look more engaged, more aggressive, and it's showing in the score sheet, really. And it looks great right now. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, you know, I don't, I'm not as much of a sort of tactician as you are, and I know you have kind of keep a close eye on that stuff, Dave. But uh, one thing I found interesting was I think during one of his press conferences, not post game, but on on a practice day, one of the writers asked David Quinn, you know, is this 
Um, did you make adjustments or is the team just executing? And he seemed to intimate, at least to me, that they were just executing. And, it, you know, I think the they were they, it seems like they finally gotten used to the system. Um, and, and I think that it's paying dividends. I also think that the stability in the lineup is a huge thing. They've basically rolled the same four lines and three defense pairs for uh, really for the last month. If you go back to uh, December 10th, I think, is when they kind of went with the current lineup. Um, meaning Panarin, Stromas, and Faust as one line, Kreider, Zabanajad, Bucinevich as the other, and then Hedl kind of cemented in that 3C spot. Uh, Lemieux was there until he got hurt, and now obviously he's flanked by Kako and Howden now. Uh, Brett Howden to the wing also, Dave, something that you've pointed out. But to me, that stability in terms of the lineup has made a huge difference, and I think the, the defense just looks a lot more solid as well. Um, Becky, I don't know what your thoughts are on kind of the, the overall performance of the team or any of those games last week. You know, what were your takeaways? Well, I mean, the, you know, obviously we're, I'm going to gloss over the Columbus game right now because it's more fun to talk about wins. But the game on Thursday night, was it Thursday? I like, don't even know what day it is anymore. Yes, on Thursday. Yeah, it was Thursday. Like it just it was just the closest thing to a playoff game that we've had in how many years now? And I'm not I, I'm not even saying since they've last been in the playoffs because some of the playoff games when they were last in the playoffs did not feel like playoff games. They were not <laughs> fun. True. They were they were just it was just not an enjoyable experience and you just kind of knew that either the team really shouldn't have been there, but they were, and they were just not performing, or, you know, just, I, I don't know, it just didn't feel great. But the game against the Islanders on Thursday night, although we love a good, you know, blowout-esque game, was so close. I mean, the game-winning goal, it, are you kidding me? It was like the most beautiful thing, 26 seconds to go. How, how does it get any better than that? But um, it also kind of showed a turn where, you know, like the Zabanajad goal, right? That was something that I feel like in a lot of cases doesn't go the Rangers way, you know, or video yeah. review. Everyone's, you know, you're cheering and Sam's like, oh, it's a goal. And then, and you know, it's not. Um, and play goes on and you almost condition yourself to not get, I don't know, because I still do get very excited, but where you're like, oh, you know, you need, I expect that those reviews are going to go against the Rangers like any jaded fan and um it was just nice to see that you know that was kind of perseverance and it was ugly and it was gritty and it worked that game yeah. was, that game was just fantastic I mean that was the most fun I've had watching hockey in a long time well was it and I'll, I'll put it to to everybody here or or you know just the group in general was that the best win of of David Quinn's career as an NHL coach period I don't know, probably, <laughs> but I I don't have like a photographic sports memory the way so many people do. So, I mean, Deferring I have to, to Dave. Yeah, I was at a work event for that game, so I unfortunately didn't even catch a second of it. And based off what everybody's saying, they're saying yes. I just based off what I've read, how they've played, and some of the video I watched. I can't really disagree, but I don't know if I am the right person to say it 100% was. How about you? Yeah, Bob? I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I, so I think yes. Although, so they had that comeback win earlier in, in the year against Montreal when they were down 4 nothing. I think. Came back and won in Montreal, which is always a big deal, even though that was earlier in the year. You're not looking as much at the standings, but, you know, that was a, that was a signature win, and that was a really fun game to watch as well. But 
I think it was. I think the Islanders are, are a legit uh, opponent um, who is ahead of the Rangers in the standings. I don't necessarily think they're a Stanley Cup contender. I think their fans probably think they are, and I think they're wrong. But um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, just given everything surrounding the game, great atmosphere, close game, a lot of penalties, a lot of controversy in the game, like Becky alluded to, the um, the goal that had to go to video review in, in the middle of the play. I think they stopped playing in the middle of it because Toronto was reviewing the goal when the puck crossed the lines. Advantage, I barely got it over over the line. Um, it had all the elements of, of, like you said, Becky, like a playoff type game. And it was good to see a young team come through in that type of game against a veteran team. You know, the Islanders are there. That's a veteran laden roster with guys who have been through, you know, quite a few playoff games. They don't have extensive playoff experience the way some of those old Ranger teams did or, or Tampa Bay or Washington does, but really impressive win. Uh, and then of course, unfortunately, uh, and I know, it is more fun to talk about the wins and losses, but they could not follow it up and then and played a, a really tough game yesterday against Columbus uh, Sunday night, I should say, if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Lost 2-1 to one on a goal um, late in the game by Oliver Bjorkstrand. They actually went into the third period leading one nothing. Um, really the story of the game, uh, the, the, the game-winning goal is scored on a bad change, which is something that uh, was pointed out. Uh, you know, on Twitter by by pretty much everybody watching. There's um, more to and, that goal, though. Everyone's so easy to yeah. blame Ryan Strom on that, which yeah, I yeah. get it. It's the low-hanging fruit. That was a bad change. He should have known better. But if you watch mm-hmm. that play, look at how far back Jacob Trupa and Brady Shea are when the Blue Jackets, specifically Bjorkstrand, enters the zone. When he crosses the blue line, Shea and Truba are already at the top of the circle, and they haven't started to challenge the play yet. That's what I'm referring to as something that changed against the Islanders that they went back to in Columbus, or against Columbus, I should say. That play, they were two stick lengths behind Bjorkstrand, giving him that much room to operate. One stick length at most, so you can keep an active stick and force them to make a play. When you give us an NHL player with Bjorkstrand's shot that much room, he's going to score nine times out of ten. And it was, yeah. it was that whole entire period, too. It was just odd man rushes, and it just it, it just felt so much more like a track meet and so much less controlled than the rest of the game even felt because they didn't really play that badly for at least the first period was pretty, you know, was pretty good. And it, it felt like they were reverting back to old old habits i guess which yeah it's a rebuilding team that's going to happen so that's why i muted everybody on twitter and just you know (laughs) hashtag logged off because i was gonna have a mental breakdown reading everyone freaking out i mean that's a lesson for life really you know i'm playing twitter yeah (laughs) yes it sure is well what is a great observation though by 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 both of you guys but by becky in particular because I totally agree. I thought the first two periods, they were really solid. And I actually kind of started getting that that feeling that you used to get watching the Rangers when they were kind of in there really at the top of their game five or six years ago when they went into a third period with a lead and never blew it. Um, this is different. And I think as, as Becky points out, it's a rebuilding team. There are going to be lapses. Um, that was the type of game where you have to stay patient. You know, Columbus does 
they, they tr- basically pounce when you give them odd man rushes. Other than that, they're a very conservative team. That's typical John Tortorella, especially after losing his two of his best players in Panarin and Duchesne in the offseason and his goalie. Um, he's really packing it in and kind of playing that old school tort style hockey. And the Rangers kind of uh, fell into the trap of giving them too many odd man rushes. And, and like you said, Dave, giving a, a shooter like Bjorkstrand uh, that much space because Frank, he scored both goals and they were basically carbon copies of one another. He was allowed to basically walk into the top of the circles, pick his spot, uh, and, he, and he beat Shesterkin both times. A um, couple of notes from that game, and then we'll get to the Buchnevich situation. That was Shesterkin's first start in 10 days. He hadn't played since January 9th against the Devils. Um, the Rangers, again, went into the, the third period with a one nothing lead. I think I'll have to go back and check. Um, I think they only had one or two scoring chances in the third period. So as much as you want to blame the Ryan Strom change, as you said, Dave, uh, uh, the loss on that, it was more the fact that they didn't generate any offense at all in the third, uh, even with a one-goal lead. Um, and then, obviously, we come to the big issue, which was kind of the talk of, of the Internet today, which was uh, Pavel Buchnevich was moved down the lineup in favor of Brendan Lemieux. David Quinn was asked about it in the postgame. He said Buchnevich has been sick. He just didn't think he the energy level was right. And he was like, Lemieux hasn't played in weeks. He's coming back from an injury. Figured I'd try him on that line. Um, a lot of small sample size analysis happened on Twitter. Uh, the numbers were not pretty for that line in the the uh, Kreider Zabanajad Lemieux line in the in the third period, but doing uh, seven or eight minutes of five v five analysis is probably a fool's errand. But I guess Dave, start with you. What do you make of the wider Buchnevich situation, if anything? And really, you know, this what happened today was a wider assessment about him as a player or a discussion about him as a player. Is he a valuable player? You know, is he worth the current contract? And he's is he the kind of guy that you want to keep around? Because it his production isn't what I think people want it to be. Um, so just really want to get your take on this whole Buchnevich kerfuffle. So one item first, you know, if you're going to put Lemieux on a line with Kreider, they're the same player in terms of get to the front of the net. They're the two uh, best net front presences that the team has, so that's redundant, and that's why that small sample size may not have worked out. Uh, but back to Buchnevich, I think he's worth his contract. Keep in mind that he's not getting that puck luck that he's had in the past over his past three years career. He's shooting the same amount. He's just dropped six or seven points in shooting percentage, and a lot of that is puck luck. <clears throat> and eventually he's going to get hot. He's a streaky player, as are most of these middle six players, that when they get hot, they get hot, and when they cool off, they disappear for a while. He's going to get hot, but I think a lot of the frustration is a lot of us blogger base kind of creating the hype around Buchnevich, how he's based off his KHL numbers going to pan out to look like the next Tarasenko or the next Kuznetsov. Right. And he's not going to be that, which is fine. He's still going to be a 45 to 50 point player or even 40 to 45 point player. That's perfect for your middle six. That's what you want, especially now that he's driving offense and he may not be putting up the goals but he's still a positive player on the ice and that's what you want for what four four and a half million dollars what's he at now checking his uh, i think 3. he's 3. on 2, 5 million. Qu- yeah 
this year yeah. and next. That's well worth the money. You know, 40, 40, 45 points on a Stanley Cup team is top six in scoring among forwards. Right. Uh, Becky, what are your thoughts on Buchnevich? And I know, like you said, you were very tempted to mute the entire fan base on Twitter today, but but would love to get your thoughts on kind of all of this. Tempted to or did? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, to be completely honest, uh, Monday, right when I guess a lot of this was going on, um, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a very valid holiday that my company does not award us. So I was at work and I was actually quite busy. So I didn't even have the chance to go mute people during the day today. And I also didn't get the chance to really see too many of the arguments. But what I did see um, was basically more of the same. It's exactly what Dave said. And I think on top of that, people just love so I think this happens with every coach I think that people decide that a coach has an issue with a player and that player deserves more and I think this is the second time we're seeing it this year I think people did it with Leah Anderson as well who for what it's worth and I don't want to get into you know derail this conversation or anything but he didn't prove anything Buchnevich is, you know, he proves himself and and he's good. And I think for the most part, he gets the minutes he gets. It was kind of weird to go on the fourth line, but I'm going to take it at face value because I just don't have the energy to have like, you know, read into conspiracy theories that David Quinn just deeply hates Pavel Buchnevich and some of the really fun conspiracy theories I've seen that are like, he only likes Canadian players. Yeah, I've seen that too, that he hates Euros. (laughs) And I was just thinking, how can he hate Euros? Yeah, excuse me. Like, let me let me count the ways that you are incorrect here. But yeah. uh, whatever. Listen, I, I think Buchnevich is great. I want him to be on the team. I think he's good in um you know top six middle. Like, I think he's good on the second line. And I don't really have like a whole lot else to say about it. I feel a little Forrest Gumpy right now, but like that's, <laughs> that's all I have, I have to say, to say about that. About that. <laughs> Well, well, it is the way. <laughs> you have spoken. Mandalorian references, of course, between the three of us. Um, so, I I think that I agree with both of you, and I and I think that just to kind of hammer home the point about David Quinn, I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt, and I think that me saying that will drive a lot of people crazy. But I think people need to stop freaking out about one in-game decision. Uh, you know in the grand scheme of the season. Uh, if Buchnevich is on the fourth line for the next 12 games, then I think we have a lot a bigger conversation to have, and I think you can call David Quinn out for that. But, you know, again, it, co- what coincides uh, with this recent uptick in the Rangers' play, not just results-wise, the results have actually been kind of so-so, but better scoring chances for and against, better expected goals for and against, better shot rates, which we haven't seen around in these parts in five years, six years. Yeah. You know, they're almost a break even, uh, even, excuse me, Corsi team. This coincides with a stable lineup, generally deployed the right way. I mean, we all have nit- we can nitpick the fourth line. That, that's for a separate podcast. We're, We're not doing that line. tonight. Yeah, exactly. Um, but th- that stability across the lineup is David Quinn's doing. He's had plenty of chances over the last five weeks to break that lineup up. They've had plenty of bad periods. They had a really horrible game in Calgary. They gave up seven goals to Edmonton on that Western Canada trip. Normally coaches freak out when those things happen, right? Um, 
they 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 blow the whole lineup you know out of the water and you see four new lines and three new defense pairs in the next day's practice. Quinn was smart enough not to do that. I think he deserves deserves credit for it. I think he deserves credit for keeping the lineup together, keeping it generally stable. And I think he understands Buchnevich's value. I think he understands, like you said, Dave, that he's a play driver. He's not necessarily a scorer in the sense that he you know at his absolute best maybe he gets you fifty fifty five points. Um, but he oh, he drives offense. He actually reminds me a lot, statistically at least, of Benoit Pouliot. Benoit Pouliot was the exact same type of player. Never a big scorer in terms of the, the box scores, uh, stats, goals, and assists, but amazing possession numbers. Uh, if you go back and look, probably a scoring chance and expected goals numbers are probably very good. Buchnevich is that type of player. Would you agree with that? Yeah. and Pouliot. And there's an interesting argument that usually comes up when we bring up play driving and people say oh it doesn't mean much if you don't score you need scorers but that's why you have players like ryan strome who don't necessarily drive possession but they're skilled enough to score strome has been a monster alongside panarin and he wasn't really doing that in edmonton so it's a Balance. You need players like Bucinevich yeah. who may underwhelm in terms of points based off of, again, some of the hype that is a lot of our blogger fault here. But you have other players that can score. If he's on a line with Mika Zibanejad, Zibanejad is going to score. Yeah, let a point per game. he's been a point-per-game player. <laughs> drive that offense so that Zibanejad can put the puck on net with Kreider in front and Bushnevich going around doing a little bit of the dirty work to make sure that the offense is there and ready to move and making smart plays with the puck. You need that. That's why Jesper Faust fits in so well with Panarin and with Strom because he does a lot of those heady plays where... I don't even know if heady is the right word there, by the way. The smart hockey IQ plays that are needed, just like a little chip up the ice to gain controlled zone entries. That's something that doesn't show up on a score sheet. It's not going to be a secondary assist, but you need those plays to help drive the offense. It's about chemistry. That is a word that's thrown around all the time, but yeah, for some reason, chemistry doesn't apply to Pooch. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Well, uh, I'm going to end my rant the term, there. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's a great rant, and nor does the term dirty work, and I think that that goes back to the stereotypes of European players that, and also kind of the reverse stereotypes that people are applying to David Quinn, which is which which assume that because he's an old school, quote unquote, even though he's not like a dyed in the wool NHL lifer, he's a college coach uh, that old school coaches have towards European players. But Booch is a dirty work guy. He is the guy that goes into the corner, retrieves the puck and, and makes the first pass, not the final pass. And that's what it means to drive offense. OK, let's move on. Um, we're now into week three, I believe, of the three goalie rotation. Uh, we've seen Igor Shosturkin play three games. We've seen Alexander Georgiev get all of the starts versus the Islanders. And we haven't seen that much of Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, if if things stay on track, which uh, means that Alex Georgiev would start tonight or he will have started on Tuesday against the Islanders, depending on when you listen to this, it's then the All-Star break. It's a 10-day break. The Rangers do not hit the ice again until the end of the month uh, when they play the Detroit Red Wings on, on the last day of January the 31st. If Lundqvist starts that game, it'll be 20 days between starts. Uh, does that worry you? Uh, Becky, I'll start with you. Does it worry me? 
Uh, no, I'm not worried. It is <laughs> unusual. <laughs> um, I feel like Mike Francesa right now. I it it's unusual, and it you know it probably wouldn't be the way that I would have done it. But then again, I don't really know the proper way to have done it. I, I guess I understand bringing up Shostarkin, and he's played very well. And it's funny. I mean, like. He, he's he's played like he's played in the NHL forever. It's it's not scary. That poke check last night was incredible on Monday night versus Columbus. Um, I think there had to have been significant conversations with Henrik, you know, in the offseason, in previous seasons, in previous offseasons that, you know, hey, we have to be rebuilding. This had to have been a conversation after the letter went out. Um, you know, we have to be rebuilding and a rebuild takes time, regardless of if you signed Artemi Panarin in the offseason. It still takes time. And I wonder what the conversations were with Lundqvist, um, why he chose, frankly, why he chose to stay on the team, knowing his desire to win. And I don't mean that as in he should leave I don't, I don't read into that I just he's he's a competitor but he's also a New York Ranger so worried no how is it going to work out I don't really know I think it's pretty it's a foregone conclusion that Georgiev's going to be gone at the trade deadline and I think he's really pumping up his value right now which is great but I also don't think that it would make sense not to play Georgiev tomorrow or tonight you know on Tuesday night against the Islanders because he's He's been owning them, you know. He's been really, really good the past two games against them. So I, I don't know. That's not really a great answer. I'm sorry. That's kind of no, no, no. I think you, I think you laid out a lot of the, a lot of the issues, which is there aren't enough games for three goalies, and that's why this can only be a short-term solution. Dave, what are your thoughts on the three goalie rotation so far? Uh, it's stupid. I hate it. But <laughs> there, uh, Steve Valiquette pointed out on Twitter that the three goalie rotation doesn't work for any of the goalies. And obviously he's had a little bit of experience in the NHL. So his word is pretty much what we should take it at for the goalies probably hate it. But there was an out clause for Shesterkin to go back to the KHL. We don't know the details of it from what was rumored was that he was at that point of he either needs to be in the NHL and make $10,000 a day or go back to the KHL, and that has a lot to do with it for Shesterkin. You can't really blame him. He'd get $500 a day in the AHL or 10000 a day in the NHL. <laughs> I'd take the ten grand a day, too, and I'd use my contractual right, especially because he was dominant in the AHL. And he's so calm and collected in the NHL, like what Becky was saying. He looks like he's been there before. And you can't really complain about that when he, it's a little bit earlier than we had expected. And worst case scenario, they do the three goalie thing for the rest of the year. But Yeah, this, that's, wor that's worst case scenario. That's worst case scenario. Georgiev is going to be traded. And... I know we're going to get to the Henrik Lundqvist bit in a second, but I just saw something on Twitter that I thought was really funny. 
The Rangers have carried the reanimated corpse of Mark Stahl for six years. They can keep one of the greatest players in franchise history for an extra season and a half. I think that's fair. Who said that? Do you want to attribute that? That is at OMG Rodnick. Ah, am I right? That was one of the funnier things I've seen, and it is true. This three goalie system is terrible. It's not going to work. Georgiev's going to get traded, and his value is sky high, and the underlying numbers suggest he might be playing a little over his head right now. And away from Benoit Allaire, he might pull a Cam Talbot and basically have two great years and then fall off the face of the earth. I hope that doesn't yeah, happen. So, Kid seems to be nice. I love him. Yeah, I'm but, miss yeah, him. he's he's been great. Uh, I think, you know, Dave, just on that point, uh, we had a great guest spot on blueseatblogs.com on Monday from Brandon Cohen, um, who wrote about a potential Georgiev for Kevin LeBanc trade. Um, I am not a master of, you know, I don't study the trade market super closely, you know, I know it's very easy to kind of go back and look at, oh, what did the Rangers get for X player in at, at X deadline? Or what did they get for another player at the draft? Or what did they get for another player in a December trade? I know there's plenty of information like that out there. But what is your sense right now of what they could get for Georgiev? Do you think they could get LeBanc? Because I read through um, that piece earlier and... LeBanc has amazing numbers. I don't think I realized he was that good. I thought, okay, you know, good player. San Jose has been sort of a monstrous possession team in previous years. I know they're not as good this year. Uh, I don't know about their underlying numbers, but I know from a results standpoint, they haven't been great. So I, I was like, is LeBanc a passenger? Um, but but is he the real deal? Is that is that a good return for Georgiev? Or are they or are they, or are they are they shooting for more? Which is also what I've heard suggested, kind of in the rumor mill. If I had to pick between LeBanc, Kasperi Kapanen, or Andreas Johnson, both of the, the latter two players from Toronto, I'd pick LeBanc. And he's okay. an interesting target because San Jose is in such a terrible cap position. They have 11 players signed next year and only $19 million left to fill out the rest of the roster. Georgiev... <laughs> fits into their replacement of Martin Jones, who they're screwed with now, at under a million. And LeBanc is an RFA, 24 years old, making a million now, and do a huge raise. Arbitration right. is going to give him $4 million. Easily. They can't fit that under the cap. That's a good target, but I think the Rangers need to add. But I have no idea what the goalie market is. Right. There's nothing and comparable does, here. Well, and so really quickly, while we stay on LeBanc, just for a sec, do the Rangers then, is there another domino that has to fall? If they get LeBanc in a trade, they obviously are going to want to keep him around. Who do they, does that mean, does that precipitate a, a trade of Kreider? Does that precipitate a trade of Ryan Strom? Because they're going to have to free up some salary in order to keep Kevin LeBanc, presumably, right? So the Rangers don't have that precarious of a cap situation next year, despite what people say. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think people are making a lot more of that than I think there is. I agree with you. So, let's say LeBanc replaces Kreider, about five hundred thousand dollars off. Not a big deal. Yeah, 
by trading for LeBanc, you justify trading Kreider for futures if they can't come to a contract. Or you keep Kreider because it sounds like they want to, and you capitalize on Ryan Strom's career year, who is also going to be due a pretty significant raise, and probably Tony D'Angelo's career year, who's going to be doing a be due a significant raise. Both look to be great players right now, but unsure where they fit in the future two, three years down the road, and you could get a lot for a package of those two. Yeah. But isn't LeBanc a winger? Yes. Yes, that's that's a good point. And he's yes. more of a Kreider-style winger, right? He's not really a pl- passer-playmaker? Yes, that is true. Counterpoint, he's- Philip Heedle mm-hmm. would be your 2C at that point, and you can find a 3C. Right, that's fair. And LeBanc is only 24. Yeah, it's not like you're trading uh- for a 30-year-old. No, I thought he was older. Like, I, I feel like he's been around for, you know, ever. Isn't there and... a LeBlanc or something like that that I always got him confused with as well? <laughs> there There's... was a LeBlanc, yeah. That's I don't think he's in LeBlanc. the NHL anymore. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I just said yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> the one where the Rangers trade Alex Georgiev, friends yes. reference? Yes, excellent. Um, no, but I, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, very, I'm very torn right now. I think... If you have an embarrassment of riches by getting him, you figure it out later. Again, though, this is why I'm not a GM. Yeah. Because I'm like, yeah, this trade sounds You want to keep this Let's team together, right? I, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think you trade Georgie. Uh, that's That goes without saying. And I just like, I really teeter because I'm of the, I love how young the team is and... I'm very wary of this. I mean, again, and I don't want to delve into this because we don't have much time on this, but this was the, the you know, debate that Justin and I had about Kreider is that I would love to resign him if we can resign him to like five years max. But I don't right. know that that's going to happen. So I'm very curious to know what kind of like contract discussions have been going on between Kreider's team and the Rangers at yeah. this point. Well, so so far, not much is kind of what what word on the street is. So far, there just there have been very few discussions, if any. Um, that doesn't which seem is right to me though. That discouraging, does, yeah. That doesn't seem right. I don't. I don't know. It just that just doesn't sound right to me. But so well, one thing on Georgiev, the most recent trade like this is Corey Schneider from Vancouver to the Devils for the ninth overall pick. Not right. An, uh, not an ironclad comparable here. Schneider did have te- three seasons of 30 starts, 25 to 30 starts before right. he got traded. Right, and there was just no home for him long term at the time in Vancouver. That's is that correct? They stole Luongo, and that was what else still did they had have? Luongo, and right. they picked Luongo, and it's similar here. The Rangers are going to pick Shesterkin. Right, as they should. Would I, you I, I the think. riot <laughs> if they were like Georgiev is our 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 franchise goalie. 
We're yeah, treating and Shesterkin. Shesterkin. <laughs> and yeah, one thing so. about this trade Lundqvist bit that everybody's odd, why keep a 38-year-old goalie? A, we just went through the whole reanimated corpse of Mark Stahl thing. But B, Georgiev is going to get you something tangible, something you can use. Even if Hank waves his no trade, he's going to get you, what, a fourth, fifth round pick conditional? Right. Fifth and you may have to retain salary third to make it if you work. win the cup. That's, what good is that going to do? Yeah. I mean, that's a good point, too. So, so really quick, we don't need to spend too much time on it, but there have been rumblings about Lundqvist wanting to play after the final year of his contract, which the Rangers probably would not re-sign him um, at that point, which opens up the possibility that he would play for a second franchise. Um, and which then extract you extrapolate that out well maybe he would be willing to waive his no trade clause at this point because there's probably not a chance of finishing his career as a ranger um there's there was one article in the denver post a few days ago the avalanche are potentially a landing spot because they are a uh, a budget team i believe you know even though lundquist's cap hit is 8.5 million he's only due 5.5 million a salary next year um the avalanche need a goalie they have philip grubauer and and i don't even know the backup goalie's name Pavel but they're both I only right, know, I only know that because he's on my fantasy team. How's he doing, Dave? Uh, him and Grubauer have helped me out considering I don't even remember which goalies I drafted anymore. They're not on my team. <laughs> well, I think the, the point of this of this piece in the Denver Post was that Lundqvist would represent a pretty significant upgrade over the current goaltending situation. And again, if you look at the uh, charts that come out once every few days... Lundqvist is still in that upper right quadrant. He is still considered an elite goalie considering the amount of work, the quality of work, and the uh, rate at which he still stops pucks. So, um, look, I can't see it happening. I don't uh, I don't want it to happen, even though I think if you could clear $8.5 million off the cap, signing, re-signing Kreider, keeping D'Angelo, keeping Strom is all on the table at that point. But um, I don't think it's going to happen, and I'm sure you guys probably feel the same. But what are your... 30-second takes on, on, on Lundqvist potentially not retiring a Ranger. Becky, you tackle this one first. I think it would be sad, you know, especially considering the fact that I assume they're not going to trade him. I mean, he's, you know, he'll play out his contract. I think it would be just kind of sad. I don't, I don't know. I also, you know, it's hard for me to understand, um, like, why a – I I can theoretically understand why a professional athlete does not want to give up, you know, does not want to retire, and especially if he doesn't win. But uh, I don't know. Just it would make me sad. This would be comparable to Derek Jeter not retiring a Yankee or David Wright not retiring a Met. It's at that level, and... What's to say Lundqvist doesn't want to return, be a Ranger for a million bucks a year as a backup, and now Shesterkin has both Allaire and Lundqvist as his tutors? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah, and at that point, we're talking about two years from now, that is roughly where I have the Rangers, assuming the rebuild continues and progresses the way it's going. That's when I have the Rangers really entering legitimate cup contender status. About not next season, the season after that. Yeah, I think that that sounds right. And 
Lundqvist will want to be a part of that. I think at the same time, there is maybe that itch of if I go to a Colorado or a Toronto, I'm closer to a cup. But how much closer? Let's look at the standings. And that kind of brings us to our last segment. I just mentioned the Toronto Maple Leafs. They are uh, sitting as of this recording on on Monday night, uh, Martin Luther King Day, the 20th of January. They are sitting at 57 points. Uh, That's two points out of a playoff spot. They're 10th in the Eastern Conference. I saw a stat on Twitter when Sheldon Keefe took over. Uh, since he took over, the Leafs are 16-7-1, or they were 16-7-1. They, they had the fifth-best points percentage in the NHL, and they were 10th in the Eastern Conference. Then they are still 10th in the Eastern Conference. So that team has played excellent hockey for over 20 games and hasn't moved in the standings. So the Rangers uh, are seven points behind them. The Rangers sit at 50 points through 47 games played, they are nine points out of the second wild card spot, currently held by Carolina. Losing to Columbus on Sunday was a big hit to their playoff hopes, as silly as that sounds to say in January. It's true. Columbus is now at 60 points, so the Rangers are a full 10 points behind them when they could have been six points behind if they had won the game So in regulation. so And that kind of brings us to this final topic. Very uh, plainly, the question is, do the Rangers have or have a realistic chance to make the playoffs dave what say you will they make the playoffs this year nope they have too many teams to leapfrog over and with this loser point bull censor word it's not gonna happen they will not make the playoffs this year last year 98 points was the last wild card columbus you see the rangers getting 98 points and leapfrogging five teams that's a good point becky what are your thoughts do you think they have a run in them uh, they're not going to make the playoffs, but it's going to be fun. And like as a Met fan, all you really <laughs> fun lesson for anyone who is a Yankee fan and is listening to this podcast. It's really fun when you haven't made the playoffs in a couple of years and your team is still relevant toward the end. So if we're still playing meaningful hockey in March, I'm going to be a happy camper. Um, but no, they're not going to make the playoffs. It, like what Dave said, there's just too many people, and it's too unrealistic to think that a rebuilding team is going to, you know, be that good. It, it puts too much pressure on something that shouldn't really have that much pressure on it. And it's okay so if they're not going to make the playoffs. We're still having exactly. fun watching this team. I haven't had this much fun watching the Rangers since they finally figured out AV's whatever the hell system that was in... December 2013, right before they made that yeah. run to the cup final. Yeah, that was about as well as any Ranger team has played. And they had a bunch of veterans who had been there before, so they really kind of flipped a switch Yep, uh, and were playing really great hockey. And you're right. I mean, that was that was a heady five months for for the for this franchise. Yeah. And, and this all the next most fun I've too. had since then. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. I will throw out a counterpoint, and I'm going to fly in the face of everything logical because I agree with everything you've said. You know, if you look at the playoff odds as of today on, on moneypuck.com, which does a bunch of statistical kind of analyses of, of this sort of thing, the Rangers are a 16.4% chance just to make the playoffs. Yesterday going into the game, or before the Columbus game, I should say, they were at a 20, 21% chance. So right away, that loss, uh, you know, eliminated 5% right off the top. Uh, of their uh, percent chances to make the playoffs. The only thing I'll say is this. The the things that you need, the ingredients you need to go on a run in February and March um, are on this team. 
they have the elite scorer in Panarin, and they have the goaltending. And now, again, we just had a lengthy discussion about what they're going to do with said goaltending, but let's just assume it's Shesterkin and Lundqvist. Shesterkin looks really good, very comfortable. I trust him already after three games in the NHL. Lundqvist is Lundqvist. With enough rest, he should be able to have uh, a strong finish. If the Rangers' goaltending goes on a heater and they get a month's worth of 948 save percentage goaltending and they're shooting their usual 10%, they could be a really dangerous team in February and March. And if you look back at some of the Tortorelli years when the Rangers made the playoffs kind of on the last day of the year, they had incredible February and March records. They went like 12-2-2 in the last, you know, uh, 16 games of the year. And it's going to take something like that. I think this Ranger team has the top-end talent and the goaltending to do it. But I agree with both of you. It's going to be a long shot. Um, And part of the sort of reason it is such a long shot is because, and pardon the sirens here on our busy corner in Hoboken. Yeah, I was going to say, which one of you is getting arrested? Yeah, well, you know, remains to be seen. It was me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... Uh, one of the things that we discussed, and, and there's there's going to be a piece up on the blog um, today, actually, Tuesday, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, about the loser point. Uh, Becky, you did a really interesting poll, kind of getting the, the thoughts of the Ranger and, and wider hockey community about the current standings point system, which really just creates a lot of false parity and artificially makes the playoff races closer, which, yes, it makes sense from a league perspective, but also... If you just slightly changed the point system and maybe rewarded teams more for regulation win, you'd have a chance for teams to go on runs and 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 stay competitive, even if they are say six or eight points back like the Rangers are. So, what what were your thoughts on uh, you know on that poll, and, and what are some of the kind of interesting uh, points that people made, kind of when you asked them about the the whole point system? Well, as far as the playoffs as a whole, like it, you can make it a little bit more competitive. Honestly, it's like over half the teams make the playoffs. It's so stupid. But that's just Well, that's me. true too. <laughs> that's that's neither here nor there. Um a lot of people agreed with actually uh Dave's point of view and it's that you go to um 3 points for regulation win. Every game should have the same number of points handed out. Um no loser points. You know, no regulation loser points you do. I've seen it Three points for regulation win, two for overtime win, one for shootout win, and then none, no loser point. I like that a lot. Um, some people want uh, overtime to be extended, so the options are right. Uh, there's no shootout. You extend overtime to ten minutes, three versus three, uh, the way that it is now, and. Uh, Someone, uh, one of one of the people on Twitter that I follow, does analytics for the MLB, and he actually was able to kind of do a rough rough of how long overtime would last if it were three on three, and it was like it was ridiculous. It was something. It was like three and a half minutes, which I guess doesn't work now, but maybe teams are playing more conservatively because they know that they're going to the shootout. You never right. know. Um, the second option was keep the shootout. Um, but make regulation win three points. Uh, the third option was to stay, keep as is, but just remove the loser point. So it's 2-1-0, uh, no third point. And then uh, don't do anything. And most people wanted no shootout out of those options. Most people wanted to get rid of the shootout. 
I agree. I think the shootout is the devil. I was just looking actually while you guys were talking at the teams that have the most regulation wins and the Rangers have more regulation wins than four teams ahead of them. Yes, exactly. And that is like mind numbing to me in a bad way. It drives me absolutely insane when I see that. And I'm looking squarely in the direction of the Philadelphia Flyers who are five and five. So they also have five shootout losses, but they have five wins in the shootout. So those are just crucial points in a tight playoff race that have essentially been decided by a coin flip. And all of this could be avoided. I understand, even though I think it's silly, not liking ties or wanting to have ties and trying to appeal to, I don't know, uh, the casual sports fan who thinks ties are silly. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I think that that's kind of a specious argument at best, but fine, I'll I'll give you that. Um, But you could could reward uh, actual excellence across the game by making a regulation win three points. And I think this is something that I think it's been brought up at the board of governors meetings and stuff like that. And they've just, they've never even discussed it. And I don't know why I think all the owners are just too afraid that, you know, the lightning are going to run away with it and the blues are going to run away with it. And whoever it is, the caps are going to run away with it. And everyone's going to be looking at the standings and are going to, you know, people in, uh, in um, Florida are going to be like, Oh, well the Panthers are 18 points out. I'm not going to go to a game. Whereas if they looked up in the standings and they see that they're eight points out, they're thinking to themselves, oh, maybe the Panthers are still in it. They're really not. It's 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 all artificial. It's it's not real. Like the because of the point of system. Parody. Yes, exactly. Yep. When there really isn't that much parity, there is a definite upper class, middle class, and lower class in the NHL. There definitely is, and it's the standings just totally gloss over that, and it 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 drives me it drives me crazy, as you could tell. Why do I get the feeling that when they implemented this stupid system, it was with a mind of the record books in in the forefront. I think you're absolutely right. And they hockey's a traditionalist league and we hold records to be these glorified amazing pieces of sports history when records A are meant to be broken and B updating the way a league is run to better reflect how the league is actually performing is more beneficial and it treats fans like we're not idiots. We know Washington is running away with everything. We know St. Louis is running away with everything. We know Tampa, now that their difficult part of the schedule is done, is going to run away with the Atlantic. Give us credit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tampa ran away with it last year and then got swept by Columbus. And I know that if I had my way, Columbus wouldn't have made the playoffs last year. But anything can really happen once you're in the playoffs. So, yeah, sure, they can run away with it. But I don't it, – it's not a league where you can really uh, exploit, like, you know, there's a salary cap. <laughs> That's, like, the easiest way to say what I'm trying to say. There's a salary cap. So – yeah, it's it's not going to be as easy as like, oh, this team can just pay eight hundred billion dollars for all of these players and they're going to win for the next five years. And it's going to be boring, which I could see being a concern for the league. The There's Rangers did cap. that once already and it still didn't work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that yeah, that's true. But that's such a great point, too, by by you, Becky. It's just the yeah, you know, the, it's the salary cap already creates parity. You don't need to then engineer the standings so that everything is artificially close. It it doesn't make any sense. You've got the cap in place, and teams are roughly spending the same amount on players. 
you still reward the teams for good drafting with, you know, rookie contracts and free agency not happening until you're 27. You know, I mean, the, I think the players should have more rights and the ability to earn more money to begin with, but we know that's not going to happen because they get killed in every collective bargaining, uh, you know, uh, negotiation. So it is what it is in that regard. But the NHL got its cap. The least they could do is is change the standings to, to better reflect the performance on the ice. And the cap and this parity is why we're having conversations about Georgiev and Strom and D'Angelo. The Rangers aren't going to be able to keep them and fit under the cap with what they have today and what their future is. And just by having these conversations, they're going to wind up on different teams, and those teams Mm -hmm. are going to get a 50-point center wing, a 60-point defenseman, and it makes those teams better, and it just keeps the parity circle rolling. We don't need the fake numbers to show that the Flyers are riding Carter Hart basically to shootout wins. It is an right. AV team. It is an AV team. <laughs> After all. All right, guys. Well, I think that just about does it. So just so everyone knows, we also, as we get into this, will would love to answer some fan-submitted questions. We put the call out onto Twitter today, but nobody really jumped in except for, uh, I believe, Michael Silver said hello, and he was happy to have us back. So hi, Mike. Thanks for that. Um, but, you know, each week we'll be asking for fan-submitted questions. If you have a question or a comment, Use the hashtag live from the blue seats to submit that. Um, Dave, any final thoughts? Becky, any final thoughts? Glad to be back. Glad that we were able to get your feedback and make this podcast even better, both from a flow standpoint and from a quality of audio standpoint. Hopefully you like the changes we've made. And as always, if there are concerns you guys have, again, the hashtag live from the blue seats will Read it, we read it all, and we'll implement it. Great. Ditto. All right. <laughs> That's it. All right. Uh, Live from the Blue Seats is a production of Blue Seat Blogs. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We're currently available on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and hosted on Acast. And if you could spare a minute, please leave us a rating and a review, as it helps other fans find the podcast. And remember, new, new episodes will be dropping every other Tuesday, uh, potentially weekly further down the line. Uh, check out blueseatblogs.com for all things Rangers, from news and opinion to video analysis and more. For Dave and Becky, this is Rob signing off. We will see you next time.